The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, good evening and welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria, to the Buddha Loka Centre, for another Monday evening uh, meditation together. And uh, I should introduce myself for the... Uh, uh, for the internet, just in case there are people who don't know me from the uh, internet. So my name is Ajahn Nisarano, and I am an Australian Buddhist monk um, who ordained with Ajahn Brahm uh, 22 years ago, full ordination, in Perth. And for the last 13 and a half years, I have been living in Sri Lanka and visiting Australia, more and more frequently actually, <laughs> so it's usually annually at least. And uh, I um, have also been uh, a member of the Buddhist Society of Victoria before I became a monk, so it was a while ago, so I think my membership has lapsed, <laughs> but they're still very good. <laughs> so it's very nice, uh, it's actually one uh, a very uh, nice thing to see, you know, members becoming uh, members of the Sangha. There have been other uh, men and women here who have become monks and nuns. So this is something that's quite inspiring. And it's the point of the Buddha's teaching that it's uh, the, the community is fourfold community of lay men, lay women, and monks and nuns. And uh, it's a continuum. Though often when you live in Buddhist countries, you don't feel like this. It feels like a big divide between <laughs> the, the Sangha, the monks and nuns, and the lay men and the lay women. So, but it is actually a continuum, so that's very good. And uh, last week I was, uh, we focused on mudita for those that were here, and that mudita is that joy with others, with others' success or with others' good qualities, and I focused on good qualities. It was a mudita-filled week because I, I taught it on Monday night, I also used it on Saturday <laughs> and on Sunday. I gave two talks on, on it as well, <laughs> but they're all slightly different, actually. So, um, But it's a very useful um, emotion to develop. As I mentioned, this is part of the Buddha's teaching on the Brahma Lokas, or as Ayakima used to call them, the four supreme emotions. And uh, these are the emotions that an um, enlightened person or any uh, in person that's on the stages, in the stages of enlightenment, will develop. And particularly an arahant, a fully enlightened person like a Buddha, will have a lot of, dwell with a lot of metta, loving kindness, will have a lot of compassion. In fact, that's the reason a Buddha exists and the world is out of compassion. <laughs> Otherwise, there is not much point for, um, for teaching, because it's out of compassion that the Buddha arises in the world and teaches. And also he has joy for others' um, good qualities and success. And also upeka, and this is upeka, this equanimity, this uh, balanced state of mind that sees that we are all owners of our karma. So we are very much fashioned by our minds, particularly our minds, and our speech and actions that come from that. From our minds. But this evening I wanted to focus on a theme that I like very much and always very useful is to be, the theme is happy to be here. And this is a similar 
um, a similar emphasis to mudita in a way because it brings joy into the mind. It brings happiness, this contentedness to be here. You know, for me, when I hear happy to be here, it's a phrase Anjan Brahm uses. I don't know, maybe other people have used it. Have anybody heard of other people using this happy to be here? It's a very nice phrase, actually. But for me, it has a good feeling, you know, of this contentment, you know, just to be happy to be here. And um, so it's a, the point of uh, developing these this, uh, positive emotions is really as a, to uh, enhance our lives because definitely if we're content, if we have joy, it really um, enhances our life, our experience of life. But it's also very useful for the meditation because meditation, um, one of the very important factors of meditation is this sort of inner joy, this inner happiness, which can lead to the mind actually being able to settle, come together. We call it one-pointedness um, and we call that samadhi. And that is a very important quality to develop because um, without it, Without that, with the mind coming together, without that uh, one-pointedness, we can never be sure that there aren't negative states of mind uh, that are running, that will distort the way we see the world because this is a preparation for insight. And it's a very important one too because without those hindrances, we can see things clearly. We can see things as they are. With the hindrances, we're seeing them through the lens of those hindrances. We're seeing them through the lens of desire. We're seeing through the lens of negativity, ill will, rejection, these sorts of states of mind. And this will never, never be insight. <laughs> it will always, always be distorted by these qualities. So this is why samadhi is so important. And this is why contentment is a very valuable quality because when we're content we don't have to go anywhere we don't have to have anything else to be happy to be present to enjoy the present moment we're quite happy just to be here and so this contentment is a very is something the buddha praised a lot he called it santuti and there, there are many places where the buddha talks about that and i'll give the quote actually it's quite a nice quote here, which is, it's from the Dhammapada. The people know the Dhammapada. This is verses from the Buddha. And uh, there's some beautiful verses in there. And this one is a very famous one. Health is the most precious gain and contentment the greatest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best kinsman. Nibbana, the highest bliss. So there we are. Contentment, the greatest wealth. So somebody that has contentment, why, why would you say they are wealthy? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because if you don't need anything, there is a sense of wealth, being rich, having enough. And it's an often uh, interesting point that some people can be incredibly wealthy but still feel they need so much more. Um, and in a sense... You know, they are poor, even if they have got billions, but they feel like they need more to uh, be happy. And this sense of contentment gives us a sense of fullness, of satisfaction, of uh, having enough here and now. And 
as I say, this is when we develop a, these positive qualities, be it joy, like mudita last week, or contentment, we are letting go of negative states of mind because this counteracts negative states of mind. And this is always an important consideration in the Buddha's teaching. You know, uh, what are we developing? Are we developing positive states of mind, wholesome states of mind? Are we maintaining them? Or are we developing negative states of mind? And are we making much of those? And people, as I mentioned last week and mentioned in my talk on Sunday, often people don't realize that if they're not developing the mind in a positive way, if they're just allowing the mind to go here and there, if they're not noticing what the state of the mind is, the, often the default position will be a negative one, an unwholesome state of mind, developing you know, a very dark view of oneself, of the world. And you know, we can see and we can see when we hear the news or we read it or uh, what, however we uh, come across it, how much of that is very negative. And we, we can get a lot of that news almost instantaneously and how much it lead, can lead to these negative states of mind. So we see the coronavirus is uh, in the news all the time now. And I know for many people it's creating an enormous fear, isn't it? I think there's two coronaviruses, one in the body and one in the mind. And the one in the mind is scaring people incredibly, you know. Of course it's a serious, serious threat and we don't know how serious it is. But that fear is, of course, even... Uh, in a sense, more dangerous to to us as a community, as individuals. So when we aren't developing positive states of mind uh, and maintaining them, we could, can very often be developing negative states of mind. How do we develop them? Just by repeating them. So if we complete, if we repeat, you know, this attention to negative states of mind and think, ah, oh, the world's terrible, look, look at this, what's happening, people are terrible, you know, all these killings and various things that are going on, we can really develop that negative um, emotion that will go with that, which can be, you know, depression, and a very common one, you know, with the news about the coronavirus would be anxiety and fear, insecurity, and so we can develop these things. But oftentimes people don't realize that by repeating something, they're developing it. And so this um, de development of positive qualities is very important for our mental well-being and for developing the path too. So contentment is really, you know, uh, the opposite of discontentment, isn't it? It's the opposite of that. And discontentment is really uh, is another word for what the Buddha called the cause of, or samudhiya, of uh, difficulty, suffering, unsatisfactoriness. This not uh, wanting, always desiring, wanting something else, craving something else that promises us happiness. And of course, that sort of wanting, that discontent, will never, never lead to stillness, never lead to a samadhi, to the sense of peace, having enough. And of course, that's uh, in many ways, that's what uh, uh, society and business would like to encourage, <laughs> more desire. So Chadstone is a desire factory. <laughs> you know, we want, to, we want to produce more, so we buy more. 
and uh, but it will not necessarily won't lead to our uh, happiness and contentment maybe for momentary pleasure and we talk about retail therapy <laughs> retail therapy is quite expensive <laughs> so this happy to be here is something that can be very useful in in our lives developing these perceptions because when we develop perceptions it gives rise to these feelings these states of mind and the buddha is is very much encouraging us to develop uh, positive uh, perceptions the perceptions that lead to well-being lead to wisdom so we have the perceptions of impermanence and nature and many other perceptions that the buddha talks about and one of the reasons that i teach this too is that it can aid the meditation when we can develop a positive emotion and then use it with what the meditation object be it the present moment be it the body uh, be it the breath whatever the object is if it is imbued with this sense of joy or contentment um, then it's very attractive and it will allow us to stay with that meditation object much easier and as i mentioned to people this is a good support particularly at the beginning of the meditation because once the mind has developed that focus that uh, uh, interest in the meditation object then very naturally we have this phenomena of joy and happiness arising because the mind's coming together it's letting go of the past and future letting go of the world of the five senses and just going into the mind it's having a holiday so it's very happy <laughs> a holiday from the five senses a holiday from also the negative states of mind because when the mind becomes one pointed when it starts to come together in one point there is no space for a lot of other emotions negative emotions to arise so it's a very useful uh, method to have these positive states of mind emotions and use them with the meditation object and uh, i like i always think this is quite a good definition of contentment though it's it's uh, ajahn brahm was meaning it has, has said this is for happiness but the difference between happiness and contentment is um i don't think great actually but contentment usually um has the sense of this stillness and not needing anything else so it's a, it's a very sort of self-contained feeling to it um and ajahn brahm has said this lovely saying contentment he says happiness is not having what you like it's liking what you have liking what you have and that's not always easy <laughs> being content with difficult situations is not easy being content with you know difficult states of mind if you're restless um you know if you're worried um if you're doubting if you're tired um if there's a lot of well restlessness is a lot of desires going on so this contentment can be a good way just to allow things to settle rather than say well i want to get rid of this uh restlessness and that will actually usually feed it but just being content this is the way it is at the moment <laughs> and then allowing it to uh and not reacting negatively to it and then allowing it to settle down 
um, and then it will go by itself. And that sense of contentment, allowing acceptance, yeah, is very helpful for us. And contentment uh, also means, or it doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect. You know, we often think once we get everything right, then we can be content. You know, but of course that that will never happen because things hardly ever are perfect, or if they are, they're just for a short time. But we often seek this perfection. And really, um, being a perfectionist is a great way to encourage discontent <laughs> because yeah, we're always going to have to rearrange things all the time, you know, whether it's ourselves. This is a very important uh, um, uh, focus for our contentment is ourselves and uh, the situations we find ourselves in. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't change, of course, but we can be content with how we are at this moment, accept how we are at this moment. And as I've been encouraging people, to have this sense of being on really good terms with ourselves, being kind to ourselves, being a best friend to ourselves. This is metta or maitri. So this is a very, uh, very helpful, useful emotion to develop for ourselves and for others, for situations we find ourselves in. And as I say, it gives a sort of balance to the mind, a security to the mind. We don't want to rearrange reality at, at that particular moment. We accept it as it is. And it has a sense for me of being a cosy emotion. It's good that it's a cold night, cool night, because <laughs> you can feel like when you're content, it's like being cosy, uh, being self-contained. And it, it avoids those extremes of uh, wanting things to be, uh, you know, going for things in a sense of indulging the, the extremes, the Buddha said, um, that he uh, was talking about the middle way between these two extremes. You know, he's talking about indulgence and things and also the rejection or tormenting, he says, of the body. And this is like, you know, wanting and wanting to get rid of. And contentment is in between that. It's not wanting things to be a particular way, but it's not trying to get rid of things uh, at the same time. Therefore, it can come to rest. And that's the important sense with contentment that allows us to go on holiday because we have we are exactly where we want to be. Contentment, the sense of everything just being okay as it is, is very helpful for for us to develop this happiness, the sense of peace too. Because when we have to rearrange everything, it's not a very peaceful <laughs> peaceful existence. And also, often reality will not comply with <laughs> how we wish it to be. And that's usually the case. And that's quite a teaching too, you know. So this contentment, it can be in a sense a type of letting go letting go of wanting things to be one way and letting go of wanting to get rid of things that we, we may be experiencing at the present moment, whether it be restlessness or tiredness, um, anxiety, any of these emotions. Uh, this contentment can just allow, just accept. And in that allowance and acceptance, things can settle down and change. So contentment is really... the a very important part of the Buddha's teaching. And he taught what's called the gradual training 
gradual training is a, a very common theme that the Buddha has in, in uh, he often taught it and in that training one uh, hears the teachings you know hears from the Buddha in that case <laughs> or someone else hears the the Dhamma the teachings of the Buddha and then develops a faith or confidence in them because in order to undertake anything we have to think it is worthwhile it is valuable there's something in it that we will find beneficial um, otherwise, we won't undertake uh, that uh, um, some, something, whatever it be, whether it be, you know, a spiritual practice, uh, work, or uh, some other commitment, as well. And then, when we do have that uh, faith or confidence, then the Buddha says, and then in a, in a sense, that gives us the energy to practice something, to put it, give it a try, give it a go. Um, but what the Buddha is thinking he mentions next is giving it a go in the sense of our ethical behavior. So this is our behavior by body and speech, but it also implies the mind. And then he says we need, in order for the path to develop, this sense of contentment. It's usually contentment with what we have. And he's talking you know, often about monks and nuns, and we, but it's the contentment the things we he advises us to be content with are exactly the same for everyone else <laughs> the necessities of life so clothing food accommodation housing uh, and also medicines at a time of sickness so these things to be content um, with them because when we always when we're always striving for to get more of this get get a bigger house get a bigger car bigger this and that we cannot be content. We've got a lot of work to do. This discontent, this uh, craving, this desire keeps us busy, <laughs> keeps us going. There's a lot to do. So this is, in a sense, um, the basis for the meditation and to take off because then the Buddha says we can restrain our senses. This is a very important teaching for the in Buddha, in the, for Buddhist monks and nuns, but it's also very important for uh, lay men, lay women too, because sense restraint is very much um, one of the things that's very obvious in sense restraint is that seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching is not a problem in and of itself. What is the problem? It's the sixth sense, what we make of the, <laughs> what we see, hear, smell, taste and touch. That creates the, the problems in our lives and the stories that uh, we make up about them and the likes and dislikes we have. So the sense restraint is uh, this uh, watching of the mind, uh, realising, uh, watching. And what are we watching? We're watching to see the reaction we have to seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching and also our thoughts, to see whether they're giving rise to positive or wholesome uh, states of mind uh, or the converse, negative states of mind, uh, negative mental states. And the Buddha calls this yoniso manasikara, that's a, looking for the wholesome and ayoniso manasikara. This is a very, very good way to, to, to really tell whether something is a benefit or not. Because if we pay attention to a sight, 
and uh, a lot of desire comes up, <laughs> whatever type of desire. We can, the Buddha would say, this is not useful. It's not going to lead to peace. It's not going to lead to wisdom, understanding. And, uh, and in some ways, it, re- it really agitates the mind, actually. can unsettle the mind. And you can see that particularly, you know, with a lot of sexual desire. It's a very strong uh, um, effect that it can have on the mind, especially the way uh, we can focus on it. And if that gives rise to these negative states of mind, we can know this is not something to pursue. But if we, from seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching and thinking, we develop positive states of mind, wholesome states of mind, uh, that are not based on getting, not not based on uh, rejecting or getting rid of stuff, uh, and not based on so much this sense of me and mine and myself, this which we call delusion. So if it's not based on that, this is something that's worth pursuing. And it's easy in a sense because you can tell whenever something is having a negative impact on the mind, it doesn't lead to a sense of happiness or peace. It leads to a restlessness and this uh, discontent, uh, which, as I mentioned, the Buddha calls the origin of our problems and difficulties, unsatisfactoriness. If we were not, if, if we didn't have discontent in the mind, things would be satisfactory, would be okay as they are, and that would be contentment. So this contentment is a very important part of the path and it leads to this ability to restrain the senses because if you are content within yourself, there's not so much you need and it's not so much that we go out looking for something to make us happy, to fulfill our desires. There is not so much need for that because we are happy at home, (laughs) happy to be wherever we are, happy to be here. And then the Buddha says we can develop this uh, clear comprehension. I think I have another one. Full awareness is quite good and mindfulness. So this is the beginning of the meditation where we um, uh, develop the mindfulness. We know what we're doing. We know the context that this is occurring in. Clear comprehension just means, uh, it's called sati sampajanya, this ability to know uh, what, why we are practicing the mindfulness, um, the, the means we're using, whether it's suitable or not, and uh, we know the uh, context for that mindfulness. And then the Buddha says the next stage of that, and it's very important for us, is abandoning the hindrances. These are the negative qualities. So we need this mindfulness and this awareness, full awareness of what's going on and this ability to investigate what the state of the mind is and then to let go of any of these negative states of desire, uh, ill will, uh, we call it uh, drowsiness and dullness. This is of the body and the mind, restlessness and uh, regret or remorse and then doubt. These are the five hindrances. And then... Once we've done that, the Buddha says, then the jhanas, these deep states of meditation, can happen will, uh, uh, and will lead beyond the jhanas to enlightenment, to the path and the fruit. So that's how this contentment fits into the Buddha's path. And uh, you can see that uh, 
it's quite a, it's a very important aspect of the Buddha's teaching. And uh, it's an emotion that will lead us to peace. It leads us to happiness. It leads to a sense of having enough and being at home, being at home in the present moment, being at home wherever we are, being at home with whatever conditions we are experiencing. And as I say, that's not always easy. But I see people, you've probably seen it too, who maybe have some illness. I've seen people with strokes and they seem to be content. (laughs) Even though, you know, they've got limited mobility, may not be able to speak very well, have difficulties communicating and moving, maybe in a wheelchair, still seem to have a sense of contentment with life, which would, I think for many of us, we'd find very difficult. You know, the idea of having the restrictions that a stroke places on one, having a mind that's, as it were, imprisoned in a body, you know, and being able to come to peace with that, be content, is really, that's something. (laughs) That's really wonderful. So I'd like to finish there. That's the introduction. So now if people would like to, we can stretch our legs just for a minute and then we can start the 45-minute meditation. Happy to be here. So we can uh, meditate for about 45 minutes and then after that, if there are any comments or questions, we can have those. So to begin with, we can just close the eyes and get in contact with the body, how it is. Noticing the feet and the legs, if they are comfortable in a good position, either sitting on the mat or sitting on a chair, Do they feel comfortable and do they feel balanced? The legs. Moving up to the hips, we can check that they are in a good alignment. They feel balanced, feel comfortable with the legs. And moving up the body to the back. Noticing um, that, well, giving attention to it. 
so that it has some uh, strength. It has some. It's uh, quite well reasonably straight without being tense. And it feels comfortable. It feels aligned with the hips. And then giving attention to the shoulders, maybe moving them to feel the right position for the shoulders. So they're balanced over the hips and supporting the head and the neck. And the arms and the hands can be resting as we find comfortable either on the legs, on the thighs or on our lap. And then giving attention to the neck and the head. Feeling if that's balanced over the shoulders. So the whole body has a sense of balance, being aligned, and hence being comfortable. And we can just experience here in the present moment the sense of the body sitting here. This alignment, this the heaviness of sitting on the cushion or the pressure, you might say. And we can relax the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes, beginning with the top of the head, the back of the head and the side of the head. Recognizing, being aware of how it feels and giving it this warm, a kind attention. like a mental massage. And then moving our attention down to the forehead and soothing the forehead, allowing the wrinkles or whatever to relax. And moving down to the eyes, all around the eyes, Soothing them, relaxing them. We do a lot of looking, breathing. We use the eyes a lot. And we can soothe the cheeks, the face. And move our attention down to the mouth and the chin. Relaxing them. allowing them to rest comfortably. And bringing to mind the neck all around and moving our attention down the neck, giving it this warm, kind, mental massage. And bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder. This warm, relaxing, soothing attention.
allowing any tension, hardness to reduce, to dissolve. and becoming aware of the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention down the right arm all around, taking in the elbow, wrist, hand and fingers with this soothing, relaxing attention. Relaxing the whole right arm and shoulder. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the left shoulder, relaxing, soothing, massaging as we go. go of any tension, tightness, sense of the burden, allowing it to relax, dissolve. Now becoming aware of the left arm and moving our attention slowly down the left arm all around to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers with this mental massage, this warm, soothing attention. Relaxing, soothing the left shoulder and the left arm. Now we can bring to mind the back, starting below 
the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back, right down to the buttocks. Soothing, relaxing, giving this warmth to any tightness, tension, any pain, any discomfort. Now becoming aware of the front of the body below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the front of the body to include the chest, the diaphragm area, the stomach and the abdomen below that. Soothing, relaxing, mentally massaging. Allowing any tension, pain, discomfort to dissolve all juice. Relaxing the whole of the front of the body. Now we can become aware of the right leg and slowly move our attention down the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and including taking in the knee, the ankle, the foot and the toes this warm, kind, relaxing attention.
relaxing the whole of the left leg. And becoming aware of the whole body sitting here in the present moment, just sitting. Not caught up with the past, what's happened, or the future, what may happen. Simply sitting, enjoying the present moment. Developing this intention to be happy to be here with this present moment as it is. Content with it as it is. And no other place we'd rather be than just here in the present moment, sitting with the body here, experiencing whatever we're aware of through the senses, the sounds, my voice, other sounds, feelings in the body, just being at home with what we're experiencing, getting in touch with the feeling of being happy to be here. A feeling of being safe, being at home, being cosy. And nothing we need to change, just here in the present moment. And we can fill the present moment with this feeling of contentment, just as it is. Perfect as it is. And we're just aware of whatever we notice from moment to moment. Sounds, feelings, the temperature, pressure of the body sitting, breathing, coming and going. Anything that is prominent to our attention. this passing parade of the present moment.
And uh, when we become aware of the breath coming in and going out, you can have this sense of breathing in, this happy to be here, this contentment. Breathing it in to ourselves and then breathing it out to others. Happy to be here, this feeling of no other place but we need to be, want to be. And if the feeling of being happy to be here diminishes, we can just remember that phrase and think of the present moment as being this breath, being like a holiday from the past and the future. Happy to be here now.
and we can bring this feeling to mind. Just happy to be here and to share it, the energy of whatever we've developed in the meditation with everyone here in this hall. Just for contentment. Just happy to be just here, just now. Wishing for their happiness and well-being. And we can expand our attention to outside this hall, to all the people, animals, insects, reptiles in this area, sharing this feeling of happy to be here, the sense of contentment, satisfaction, peace and stillness. and expanding it further to cover the whole of Melbourne. Sharing this feeling of contentment, this sense of happy to be here. and expanding it further to include the whole of Victoria. And we go further afield the whole of Australia, wishing all these beings, animals, insects, human beings, all the beings, a sense of contentment, being happy to be here, wherever they are. and expanding it further to include the whole world and all realms of existence, those realms we can't see. Wishing that all these beings may be happy to be here, content, and that feeling of safety of being at home within themselves.
gradually we can bring the attention back to ourselves, this feeling of being happy to be here, and to develop the, the aspiration or the wish, intention, to develop more of this feeling of being happy to be here, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. To make it a habit and a refuge for the mind. And we can anchor this feeling being happy to be here in our hearts, in our minds. And we can just briefly reflect on how we feel now. Were we able to be happy to be here? Do we have this feeling of contentment? And what did that feel like for us? Did it change in intensity, increase, decrease, and for some time stay the same? And how did it feel when we shared this with others? Did it feel different? And what were the causes and conditions gave rise to whatever we were feeling, whether it was contentment or not. Understanding where things are coming from. Are they coming from a sense of me, myself doing it? Or is it coming from these causes and conditions in the mind? And slowly come out of the meditation, opening our eyes and moving our bodies to make ourselves more comfortable.
So, I'd just like to ask if there's any comments or questions, people. Did people were people able to experience a sense of contentment of being happy to be here? <laughs> yes, I think so, probably. I always take it as a positive when there is, is people are quiet. I think, wow, very peaceful, and uh, that's good, you know, that we're happy to be here. And sometimes when we're not happy to be here, that can be a, a good thing to investigate too, because we can see, uh, we can look into why we're not happy to be here, that uh, discontent in the mind, which the Buddha said, you know, is the cause for our difficulties and problems in life. You know, this. Uh, uh, wanting or wanting to get rid of things which um, promises us happiness. We'll be happy when we get this situation out of our life, when we get rid of this job, when we get rid of this partner, whatever it is, or when we get this partner, when we get this job, whatever it is, um, which keeps us very busy, keeps us running, and keeps us from experiencing that greatest wealth. And the Buddha said contentment is the greatest wealth. It's what we're all really looking for, that complete, you know, that happy to be in the present moment, the sense of fulfillment, satisfaction. And it's it's paradoxical, but we think by using desire, wanting things, wanting to get rid of things, we'll get there. <laughs> but that actually only encourages more movement and more discontent in the mind. And so we, we don't arrive at the destination we wish to arrive at, which is a sense of being perfectly at ease here in the present moment and enjoying the that state of... It's in a sense state of perfection, actually, because can, we can rest in a state of things just being as they are. They're not really perfect in the sense that we want them to be this way and not that way, um, but perfect in the sense this is just the present moment as it is, you know however that we experience it. And not always, you know, um, as pleasant as we would like, but we can be content with things, even when they're not pleasant. Um, that's more of a, that's more difficult to do, <laughs> to be content when things are not, you know, <coughs> so pleasant. All right, and there's a, ah, a question, is it, from on, online? All right, yes, please, yes. Thank you, Ajahn. There are just uh, three questions. Yes. Is it okay to use calming music and sounds in meditation which help to push the mind to a relaxed, peaceful state or help the mind become peaceful? What is the Buddhist view in using such relaxation aids in meditation? Well, yes. Uh, I know many people do that use that, you know, uh, music, music to relax the mind. And you can certainly see that it does have an effect on the mind. Um, and... I think it can can be useful, you know, if somebody's had a very stressful day, if they play some very calm music, it can have a very a good effect on the mind. And we can use that as a as a um, point of departure, you know, to establish that and then take it into the meditation. And certainly I, I taught to um, meditation on sound, you know, just listening to sound, not listening to the content of it. But this sort of music can give rise to, uh, you know, sort of very uh, peaceful feelings within us. 
Interestingly enough, it won't be the same for everyone. <laughs> Another person might listen to it and think, no, that's not my cup of tea. So this is... So it can be used, it can be used. and uh, But of course, you know, the point of meditation is to be able to develop those states of mind from within and that would be the eventual aim. You know, all these other things can be supports for, uh, you know, like the trainer wheels when we're learning to ride a bicycle until we can develop it within ourselves and we can turn to that sort of peaceful state from... Um, from our wisdom, from our understanding, and from this ability, you know, in this case, to be content, to let go of things. Um, so it can be can be useful um, as a you know a way of priming the meditation, as long as we we can eventually let go of it. I think is good. If we have to always have the music, <laughs> we're going to be very dependent on that, and that. Is that's good for, in a sense, to bring up this emotional state, but it's not bringing up the, the wisdom necessarily that can come with it, because we can develop the wisdom of peaceful states. That's uh, we can develop the sorry the uh, contentment of peaceful states, but there's also the peace and the contentment that comes from understanding things, you know, as they are, accepting reality as it is and being at peace with it, that's an important thing. So, yes, I think music, no problem, you know. It does have an effect on the mind, for sure. Thank you. Uh, another person asks, I f- or said, comments, mm. I feel guilty <laughs> and I feel content about this moment while knowing others' difficult lives. Yeah. How to handle my feeling of guilt during happy-to-be-here meditation? Oh, right. Isn't that interesting? Yes. By, you know, developing that contentment, you know, uh, any positive state of mind, we can actually share, we can actually give that to people, uh, as it were, and we can share it. And we did that sharing. So hopefully that, you know, the idea of, as as I did, you know, sharing it with everybody in the hall and then expanding that can give you that sense of... Uh, um, sharing it with other people so that we don't need to feel guilty that we're just developing it for ourselves. That often people say, well, you know, meditation is so selfish, isn't it? <laughs> we're just doing it for ourselves. But really, you know, if one's meditation is developing, if there's a sense of contentment, peace, if one's developing wisdom, other people will get the benefit of that, actually. And in a world where there is so much... Uh, you know, negativity, you know, uh, uh, people seeing things in a very dark light. Somebody that has a sense of contentment and peace is a great, um, uh, is a great something that can give hope to other people, actually, encourage other people. And in a sense, I mean, it would be good if they could catch it <laughs> from us. That would be very nice. But so I think it's something very, very useful because. Uh, in the midst of turmoil, you know, when you see, you feel very agitated, very upset. If you see someone who's very peaceful, if you see a Buddha statue, this is why people have Buddha statues in their garden. They're not Buddhists, <laughs> but they find, you know, they see that and they think, oh, it looks very peaceful. So these states of mind that we're developing can be real gifts to other people, gifts to ourselves and to others, because it's very much what people need, you know. And this sense of contentment, of coming home, of being happy to be here is something that people really long for and we don't know quite how to find. But when we meet people that have those peaceful states, content states, we feel it, we recognise it 
uh, as something very positive. And it gives a different perspective from all the, you know, the bad news we hear about, you know. So it, it's something that uh, I think very, very important to develop. And what's more, you know, whatever state of mind we develop, be it positive or negative, that's how the world will appear. <laughs> So if we develop negative states of mind, full of anxiety, worry, depression, the world will look like that. If we develop states of contentment and peace, the world will look like that. And so it's very useful for us, you know, to develop the positive ones because they will lead to not only to enjoyable states of mind, but they can lead to wisdom as well. And this is something, you know, that... We, we can recognize in our own experience. And the Buddha says that the mind is the forerunner. And by that he means, you know, this is what's creating our, our experience of reality. Reality is out there, but everybody here in this room will have different takes on that reality. And so much of it influenced by media, by what our friends think, you know, the things we read and the movies we watch and all those sorts of things. So... When we develop these positive states of mind, we're really, that's also going to colour the way we see the world, like a filter. And uh, having a positive filter is a much better way um, of, in, of having a, a, not only a pleasant life, but also being able to share, give something to others as well, you know, and, and reduce this darkness that uh, people may often feel. And it's not, a, it's not so much um, like a, a Pollyanna vision of the world uh, because we can use it to develop wisdom. You know, we understand the world. And the Buddha's teaching is always a path of happiness. It's really using happiness as a means to liberation. This is why we focus on suffering because once we... I say to people, I was saying on Sunday uh, yesterday, yes, I was saying that if the Buddha only taught suffering or unsatisfactoriness in the cause of it, wow, that would be depressing. <laughs> but really the aim of it is the end of difficulty, end of suffering. This is happiness, you know, and this is the path, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path to that. So this is the point, and so many of the states and meditative states that the Buddha is talking about are all, all these positive states, high-energy states, that lead to samadhi and seeing things as they truly are. Because a mind that is very discontent, unhappy, miserable, is not going to be in a very good state <laughs> to contemplate reality, you know, and, and uh, as it were, overcome the negative states of mind. So I'd say this, don't feel guilty. Think of it as a gift you can give to others because I think people need more hope in the world, more positive um, uh, experiences in the world, seeing more people that are more peaceful, more content, are happy. Um, and when we say content, because it's content not in a spiritual way, in an inner way, we're content from this this happiness within. And that's something you see with the Buddhist statue, not so much this one. <laughs> Often they have this uh, little smile and it has this feeling of contentment, you know, somebody that's perfectly at home with themselves. They don't have to have everything the way they want it, you know, all the comforts and so on. So this is the message of a Buddha statue. And anybody that can develop these states of mind and, and they'll come out through our actions and speech will be a blessing to the world, actually. Great blessing. And that's why people like 
you know, the Dalai Lama and Ajahn Brahm, many other people, uh, are such a blessing to the world. It gives such hope to the world. And it's a message that there are these values, and not only the values, these states to develop and that they can lead to uh, a path of liberation. And the highest happiness is liberation, the Buddha said. So thank you very much for that. Yes. And thank you. And you've been a blessing for all of us too. Ah, thank you. <laughs> sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Um, is this your last session? Yes, I think it is my last session. Visit? This time, you know. I'm made in Australia, so it's like a boomerang. <laughs> I'm very likely to come back. But on behalf of everyone here and online, thank you so much, Ajahn, thank you, for your teachings you. over the last few months. We're yeah. very appreciative. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And I just to finish with, um, that leads on to the question someone wrote, I heard that you are going back to Sri Lanka soon. Mm. Will you continue to transmit live from there also? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, they do record them from there. I'd only do it once every three months, so it's a lot less, you know. But the, uh, they have an Ajahn Brahm Society of Sri Lanka. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Ajahn Brahm said, why did you call it that? <laughs> but um, So I teach it that because that's in English, you know, in uh, Colombo, the main city. And so that's, uh, they record that and eventually it comes on uh, online, I think through the BSWA website, maybe other other places too. So, so there are a few. And when I come back, there will be more. So that's good. <laughs> so thank you very much. It's been very nice to be here for this time. And it's always a joy to meditate together. It's very special. I've, I've always, you know, I've often lived on my own. So I meditate in a cave on my own. I have for eight years. But it's a great joy to, to uh, meditate with others. It's a real support. And it makes me very happy. And it's to see many people going in a direction which will give them happiness from within. You know, we have this idea of happiness from out there, but it's the happiness within here that counts. So thank you very much. And I wish you well for contentment, the highest wealth, the greatest wealth, as the Buddha said. So sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And for those who would like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha.